one. You can't continue unless you think it's going to happen. It's You can't put into a project what mm. needs to go into it unless you believe, not only believe 100% that it's going to be made, but you believe 100% that it's going to be made and be sold around the world and win you an Emmy and be absolutely fucking fabulous and change your life. I mean, they never do, but... You've got to believe that while you're doing it. You've got to drink the Kool-Aid. I, you know, no matter what the show is, even if you take it just as a jobbing job, you, you've got to drink the Kool-Aid, fall in love with it, and passionately you know, throw your heart and soul after it. Hi there, I'm Dan Brophy. This is The Naked Creative, a creativity hack podcast and blog that's all about breaking down the process of all sorts of creative professionals, from TV writers to backup dancers, interior designers to 80s aerobics instructors. I'm aiming to identify the takeaways that make achieving creative goals and living a more creatively fulfilling life possible for anyone. My guest Greg Waters has been an executive producer, writer and showrunner on a number of Australian drama series. His credits include Rake, Anzac Girls, Janet King, Paper Giants, Devil's Dust, An Accidental Soldier, The Straits, Crownies and Dance Academy. Yet up until his early 30s he was working in politics, until he decided to defect to study at AFTERS, the Australian Film, Television and Radio School. His most recent achievements are the second series of the tripped-out sketch comedy Soulmates, starring Christian Van Vuren and Nick Bouchier, a.k.a. the Bondi Hipsters, as well as what is certain to be one of the country's biggest TV events of the year, the political drama Secret City, which premieres on Foxtel's Showcase this Sunday, June 5. Though he is incredibly modest, I did get him to open up about his process, some of which I witnessed firsthand as Greg and I have been housemates over the past few years. He is an absolute culture vulture, and he's constantly absorbing information and inspiration, either around his interests or relevant to what he's working on at the time. He sees every play, every major TV drama, and if you check in with him about a podcast, chances are he's listened to it. He is also an indie music boffin and a regular attendee of the music festival Splendour in the Grass. So as far as Julia Cameron's theory of filling your well with a multitude of inspirations, Greg is all over it. I was very happy and surprisingly nervous to sit down with my friend and reluctant mentor, Greg Waters. Hey, Greg Waters. Hey, Dan Brophy. How are you doing? I'm doing very well. So tell me, when people say, what do you do? Yeah. What do you tell them? I say I make television shows. And in what capacity do you do that? Um, <clears throat> occasionally as a producer, um, often as a script producer or script editor, and basically as a writer. Yeah. And over the, for the last six months, for example, have you done all those things? Uh, I've been a script producer and a producer... And I did some script editing maybe six months ago. Yeah. No, in fact, probably, yeah, probably more, more longer than that for the last time I script. Oh, no, 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 actually, I've been script editing two, two shows, yeah. Okay. So, yeah, bits and pieces of, of script editing, a big job producing and a big job script producing. And so what's some of the stuff 
that people might have seen that you've worked on? Um, I was an EP on Rake. Um, I wrote and script edited Dance Academy. Um, I did any if if you've seen any show at the ABC f- over the last four years that came out of Sydney um, or Queensland or South Australia, I would have been involved in all of those. And for, for people who don't know what it means to be an EP, an executive producer, what does that person do compared to a regular producer? Okay, um, different things depending on their role, but a network executive producer uh, uh, sort of commissions uh, a project or is part of the commissioning process of a project. I mean, they're commissioned by much more senior people than me, but I sort of contribute to selecting projects and recommending projects. And then uh, the executive producer oversees everything on on behalf of the network from, from there on in. So it's, it's everything from... Um, you know, referring it to the right people within the network about, you know, production questions and money questions and finance questions to, you know, making decisions around editorial policy and audience, you know, friendliness and whether things will be, you know, working for our audience. And what your biggest shows of the last six months or the things that have been taking the most amount of attention Uh for you what have they been? Uh, Secret City, which is about to come out on Foxtel on June the 5th, and Soulmates 2, the second season of Soulmates, which will be an ABC comedy, which will come out either before or after the Olympics. We just, it, can't, it can't come out against the Olympics, that would be suicide, but either if we can get it out before, then perhaps before the Olympics, otherwise it'll be September. And Secret City is a uh, drama? Yes, it's a political thriller. Okay. And it's set in Canberra, and it's a quite high-stakes, dark political thriller. And Soulmates is a chaotic, off-the-wall, crazy comedy, um, which is the opposite of bleak and the opposite of, of, of thriller-esque. It's um, you know, delightfully you know, off-the-wall and crazy. And because one is bleak and heavy and dark, and the other one is fun and crazy and chaotic... Does that reflect the time you're having while working on either one? No. No, 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 no. That reflects working in what's a really small market. Australia is a, a very small market. And you can only put a career together if you do a variety of things. So I do comedy and serious drama and miniseries and series and kids' shows. And I've written for a documentary you know, I just do everything. And in a way, you have to if you're going to put together a career in a, in a small market like Australia. And have you, for your adult working life, always worked in that space, in that capacity? No, 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 no. I did a midlife career change. I was a, a political advisor in the New South Wales government and I left to go to film school. And uh, when I left film school, I started working in TV and continued to work in TV as my main source of income. Um, I spent some time trying, like, writing films that were never made, and I script-edited a couple of films that were made. But, um, you know, as far as my involvement was, that was sort of cottage industry. That was, that was craft, hobby, whereas television has actually been a career um, for me. And at the point, well, what age were you when you decided to no longer work in politics and move to TV? 
Ooh, early 30s? And when you initially thought about making the leap and you thought about a, what you would be aspiring to be doing, did it reflect? Is that similar to what you've ended up doing now? No. no. I assumed that I would write films. Okay. I assumed that I would write, write feature films. And do you know there's a lot of discussion <clears throat> around the shift of viewing habits and funding and quality of work from cinema to television. Do you think that your working in TV has happened in that time and therefore it meant that you were going to be hitting more towards TV? Um, when I started at film school, Secret Life of Us came out. It, it, it began while I was at film school. And I think, to, in my opinion, Secret Life really marked a qualitative shift in television storytelling in Australia. And, uh, I mean, other, other people can probably you know, nominate different things or different favourite shows, and there were, might have been miniseries around the time. But for me, the big, you know, the first big game changer was Secret Life. The second one was Love My Way. And they just showed that you could do television stories that spoke to my generation and that were incredibly high quality in their writing and the craft of the performers and the craft of the television makers. And, you know, that marked the beginning of television in Australia making a, you know, a qualitative shift. And uh, it coincided, though, you know, not related to... Um, Australian film went through a period of, of, you know, real sort of bleak, low-budget crime and drug dramas that were, you know, intense and impassioned, but nobody saw them. Nobody went and saw them. And uh, so at the same time as television was, you know, developing an audience for quality product and, you know, high-quality writing and, 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 and performance and, and, and craft skills, uh, film was losing its audience. Australian film was losing its audience. Do you foresee another return to a golden age of Australian cinema where people would be excited about going to the cinemas to see an Australian film anytime soon? I think it's just happened. We just had a, we just had a year of Mad Max Fury Road and Oddball and The Dressmaker and Last Captain Darwin and Paper Planes and... Uh, uh, the uh, Russell Crowe's The Water Diviner. Um, you know, we, we just had a, a year in which a lot of people went and... A lot of Australians went and saw a lot of Australian films. Um, and I don't see... I mean, that could have been a one-off. But uh, in terms of making audience-friendly films that attract people to go to the cinema, I think you know, somebody's doing something right. And so when you initially decided to do the film school thing, which film school did you go to? Uh, Australian Film Television Radio School. And do you think that that experience prepared you for the work you did subsequently? Um, I'm very... Uh, the, the first year I was there, definitely. Um, that was a... Uh, I learnt an enormous amount and also developed the confidence to go and you know, knock on a producer's door and say, you know, this is my stuff, will you give me a job? Which I didn't have before I went to film school. Um, uh, I went, stayed for two years and got a master's. The second year, I probably would have been better off to be out in the industry. I think you know, a year of film school was, 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 was 
at, at, at my stage in life, you know, having the you know previously studied and the life experience I had, one year of film school was you know completely fulfilled my needs. And so, what was that process post film school like for you to get to where you are now? Did you sort of enter the workspace small and grow no, steadily? No, no, and and in a way, I in a way that was a mistake. Uh, well, no, it, it was it was an it was a good option that closed off some other options. So I started, uh, my first job was episode writing, hour a week drama for John Edwards at Southern Star. Um, it was a show called Fireflies. And really when you're writing TV, um, writing hour a week drama for uh, you know, a fabulous producer like John Edwards, is, you know, that's where you aspire to getting to. And that was my first job. So I didn't do the starting as a trainee script editor at Home and Away and then, you know, being a, a sort of trainee script editor and then a script editor at All Saints and, you know, you know, building your skill base and building your networks and getting to know lots of writers and, you know, being involved in developing lots and lots and lots of hours of television. Um, so when, you know, when that... Uh, job came to an end rather than having you know a really established network of people who I'd worked with and who I'd script edited with and who I'd trained up with um, I, I, I had you know a really minimal network and and so it was it was hard so I, I, I sometimes regret not doing the the grunt work of working my way, way up from photocopying to you know storylining to episode writing. Yeah. How did you jump straight into writing? Um, I wrote a series outline and first episode of a series that I created myself while I was at film school. And yeah, film school gave me the confidence to send it to John Edwards and go and knock on his door and say, will you give me a job? And he did. And so from that point on, so you entered that space and you went straight into writing. And from that point on, did you continue to work as a writer before you started taking on other roles? Uh, no. From that point, I just took whatever came my way. So I was developing feature film scripts with Screen Australia support and developing a feature film script with Screen New South Wales support and script editing somebody else's feature and... Uh, you know, working as you know, develop in development of you know somebody else's show and pitching ideas and just doing everything. And how how long has that period been from Fireflies to now? Um, I think Fireflies might have been two thousand and three, maybe from the time I st- don't know when it went to air, but I think it might have been two thousand and three when I started working on it. Maybe two thousand and two. Um. So yeah, what's that? Uh, thirteen years. Thirteen years. Yeah. And so, along the way, did you have any key mentors or anyone that took you under their wing? Um, uh, John Edwards, absolutely. He gave me a break when I was straight out of film school, um, as he has given so many incredible creatives and performers and DOPs and designers their first break. He has been one of the fertile fields in Australian television. Not only has he made great shows like Secret Life and Puberty Blues and Love My Way, 
um, and offspring and, you know, the list goes on. He has also given the first start and get, take, displayed the first, you know, leap of faith in so many creatives who are, you know, making great work in Australia right now. Um, uh, Penny Chapman, who I work with uh, regularly now, is, has also been another amazing mentor and an inspiring creator. Uh, Chris Wilde, um, Peter Duncan, um, Christopher Lee, who I met you know, on my first show. He's a write, he writes a lot of John Edwards shows and he's a you know, beautiful writer and a beautiful man and has been an amazing inspiration. Uh, John O'Brien, who was the creator of, of Fireflies, has been an amazing mentor and inspiration. Um, Rose Blight, uh, she really inspired me to start you know, working in the industry and has given me endless advice and support. Uh, you know, too many to, to, to name. I've, I'm t- terrified that I've missed somebody really obvious who, mm. who who's you know, you know, support I, I value. I, I could I could keep talking. Yeah. Sometimes writers talk about things that they labour over that then don't make it off the ground for whatever reason. Do you have any? Oh, dozens. <laughs> I, 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 I have. I have, you know, I have a, I've got a script that went through, what, maybe four funded drafts with, you know, different script editors at different times. A film time. script? A film script, yeah, yeah, yeah. Um, and then I've got, you know, one that went through at least a couple, at least two sort of funded rounds of development, um, you know, plenty more that were finished and, you know, I've never shown anybody, others that have been half started, you know, whole television shows that, that you know, made it through to, to script stage and then, you know, got killed by the network. Um, yes, my, my career is full of, you know, aborted fetuses. <laughs> you know, some, you know, way beyond second trimester. <laughs> and when you're in the process of gestating that baby, do you are you fantasizing about it coming to fruition entirely or do you have this oh, realization you, you, early you, on that you can't continue unless you think it's going to happen it's you can't put into a project what needs to go into it unless you believe not only believe 100% that it's going to be made but you believe 100% that it's going to be made and be sold all around the world and win you an Emmy and be absolutely fucking fabulous and change your life i mean they never do but You've got to believe that while you're doing it. You've got to drink the Kool-Aid. I, you know, no matter what the show is, even if you take it just as a jobbing job, you, you've got to drink the Kool-Aid, fall in love with it, and passionately you know, throw your heart and soul after it. Well, what does that, in terms of your day-to-day process, because you wear different hats, it might be dif- difficult to describe, but what does a, a typical day or a typical week look like for you? Um, it, it's... Completely depends on whether I'm in production, in pre-production, in post-production, in mm-hmm. early stage development. Um, but I, when I'm, you know, part of a writing department, a script editor or script producer, a day is a working day. I go to the office. I you know, read scripts. I give notes. I you know work with the production crew. I you know work with cast, you know, whatever it, it, it involves. That's, that's an, a, an office job with a, a really clear set of tasks. When I'm writing, it, it, I try and keep office hours, um, even though, you know, I'm at home. I, I still try and get up in time to get to the office, 
even though the office is the the the, the you know spare room next to the bedroom or you know the bed often sit on the bed and write um but i keep office hours and then it's just a struggle against procrastination um you know i write a, a line or a couple of lines or a whole scene and then i stop and i just do the washing and uh answer a few emails and uh you know wait for the phone to ring and you know then start writing and then as soon as i start writing the phone rings and, and you know interrupts me and then i say oh you know it's going to take me a while to get back into to the swing of this i better go up the road and get a coffee and you know it's 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 a day long becoming a week long becoming a month long fight against procrastination and when you have nailed a day where you're really happy with your focus, do you yeah. notice any tropes about yeah. that process? Yeah, 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 yeah. yeah. Um, absolutely. Every, every, when I look back on any, single, on any piece of work, any piece of work, I can never remember actually doing it. I sort of think back, oh, you know, I spent so much time procrastinating. I spent so much time doing this and that. You know, I can't remember actually working on that. I just don't know when the words were written. But every one of them will have a few periods of several hours or you know consecutive days where you just get into the zone you write a lot you write a lot of great stuff that's when you you get it over and done with um and the prerequisites for that are clearing you know clearing your day turning off the phone you know turning off the internet the prerequisite for that is giving yourself enough time to get into the zone. So really, you know, when I'm not in the zone, every phone call is a relief, every phone call is a delight because it's an excuse to, to, to procrastinate. When I'm in the zone, I get infuriated if the phone rings or an email comes that has to be dealt with or, you know, I get asked to do a task. You know, usually, you know, there is nothing I love more than having a bit of housework to do during a, a, a writing period. So I've got excuses to get away from the writing. But, you know, I need to have some days of being able to get into the zone, not to have to do the washing, not to have to prepare an evening meal, not, you know, not to be fielding constant phone calls. You know, there, there has to be some time that's set aside that is absolutely pure, unadulterated, uninterrupted writing time. And how do you, do you identify the idea of like a writer's block and do you have a process to get around yeah. it? Yeah, yeah. No, I, I don't believe in writer's block. It's just, it's either you set aside the time to write and you write or you don't. If I set aside the time and focus on writing, I will write. Hmm. You know, there, there, there's nothing stopping, stopping me from writing except, you know, unwillingness to do it. Hmm. And what about, do you have a process of around gathering inspiration? Do you put aside time specifically for that? Um, look, in the early days, yes, absolutely. I did things like The Artist's Way and related Artist's Way type processes to um, generate original ideas um, and you know, did the, you know, the gallery visits and pressing autumn leaves between the pages of my notebook and you know, sitting by the water to contemplate, you know, um, looking at art. Uh, nowadays I don't specifically do that, but 
it's I think it's something that I have um, just naturally absorbed into my you know my practice of life for you know for me theater art music you know walking you know conversation reading the newspaper are all part of feeding a creative engine um, I don't specifically set aside time to do that, but I naturally incorporate that into the way I live my life. And what are some outlets that you're enjoying at the moment, whether they be TV shows you're making time for, magazines you read, podcasts you like to consume? Um, I, I don't really feel like podcast. I love podcasts. I don't really feel like podcasts are part of my... Uh, creative process. I um, listen to you know, non non-fiction podcasts. I, I, I listen to you know the New Yorker Radio Hour and This American Life and and uh, Great Lives um, in Our Time. You know, not podcasts that necessarily inform my work. Um, Theatre, I think I find really strongly informs my work. Um, fiction, uh, novels, I find really strongly inform my work. Um, music. Uh, informs my work um, uh, but you know fact documentary you know news media uh, uh, information gathering not necessarily inspiring I, I, I'm directly inspired by drama and creative work you know, elements that, that are part of the you know television or filmmaking process yeah if you were given a, a free pass for just a guilt-free day to yourself, what was one of the first things you would look forward to doing? Gardening. Yeah, I'd uh, love spending a day in the garden. And do you have a creative practice outside of your main focus? No, no. I've, I, I tried journaling, uh, you know, based on the artist way I tried uh, maintaining a, a journal um, that was not related to you know, anything that I was working on at, at the time. But, you know, it became one more thing to feel guilty about not doing. So, you know, and, and, and you know, for a while, I, I, you know, for a couple of years I was meditating. But again, it just became one more thing I felt guilty about not doing. So I was feeling guilty about not doing work, my work, feeling guilty about not meditating, feeling guilty about not, you know, writing my journal. And so just the list of things to feel guilty about just got too huge, so I stopped. So the, one of the biggest projects of your last chapter has been the work with um, the Bondi Hipster guys for yeah, Soulmates. Christian Van Vuren, Nick Bosher, Connor Van Vuren, yeah. And they had a big... They, they, people were familiar with them before you started working That's right. with them. Did you come across them and think they look like they might be worth talking to more about something longer form? No, no. I, um, Connor and I did uh, the world's worst television show together. Um, which, uh, look, I won't name, but it was terrible. Um, but, oh, can you please name it? <laughs> no, 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 no. Um, but, I, I, but I made some great friendships and, you know, have ongoing uh, relationships with people that I worked with on that show, and so it was really good to do it um, for a whole range of career-enhancing reasons. And uh, learning what potholes to avoid was one of them. This was a show where every pothole in the road was, you know, ended up with the car in it. And uh, so it was great. I, I, so I know what it's like to, you know, be, be in a show that is 
you know, careening out of control and, uh, you know, trying to make television under terrible circumstances. So that, that's good. That's a good, good learning experience. But Connor and I worked together on that and stayed in contact and made, remained friends. And then when he uh, started making films with Christian, who was in you know, hospital with multidrug-resistant tuberculosis, uh, I, you know, reconnected and, you know, just... You know, stayed aware of what he was doing and, and you know, talked with him about his work. And so I um, was sort of involved with SICK the, the, that Connor and Christian made together, their Optus 180 winning project. Um, not officially, because I was working at the ABC at the time. Um, and so then out of SICK, Christian, you know, Christian and Nick Bosher worked together with Connor and then moved on to, you know, that throughout, through that process, they, you know, developed Bondi Hipsters. So I, I was not involved with Bondi Hipsters from the beginning, but I was watching Bondi Hipsters from the beginning and, you know, wanting to work with Con and Christian and Nick from, you know, from before they even did Bondi Hipsters. So, but with, I think their creative, the, the creative process with them has been interesting because... When at the start of each season, we have taken a whack of time to just hang out, to just hang out and like we'll spend come and have a week away and uh, brainstorm and throw around ideas and, you know, cook meals together and, you know, have partners and friends, you know, come in and, you know, walk by the water and go fishing and just just hang out and toss around ideas and just really, you know, till the field for, you know, the, you know, the, 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 the series to come. And then, you know, they go away and do the actual grunt work of writing but it's a very fertile, very open, very collaborative, you know. I don't know that, you know, I'm not sure that any idea generated, any particular idea generated during that time makes it through to the end, but it just it's just an opening up. And, and I think that's a useful thing for anybody uh, writing or create, conceiving a television idea or wanting to create a television idea is, you know, that collaborative period of just opening it up just tossing ideas around just just you know you know working in the room you know ha having a room of, of 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 creatives who you know just help your ideas blossom and are you um as their ep and with them are you working as a script producer as no well, producer producer um do you what stage do you start to offer what would you offer a framework or do you sort of help them edit their ideas down yeah yeah yeah, yeah. Uh, because yeah yeah uh, we didn't have a script editor this season I, I just did that I was script editor as part of the, the role the show looks fantastic season one did and I think it's got a it seems that your experience across a number of different fields allow you to allot energy in, in certain areas that make the most of the resources do you think what sort of experience do you think has led you to potentially make specific choices around doing this now that you might not have had 10 years ago? Dunno. It's all pretty organic. 
Um, it's just like when I said I, I look back on a finished script and think I can't remember when I actually did that work. Um, I look back on you know the the you know five months that we've spent. We started pre-production January fourth, so January, February, March, April. So there was sort of the the four, four months that we've been in pre-production or production on this, and just think well, I can't remember a single decision that I made. I can't remember a single you know concrete contribution that was just me, and then, you know it's just you know organic. I mean, I'm been at work, <laughs> I've been involved in things, I, 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 but I can't look back and say right that that's that way because of my decision. Yeah, they probably asked our things, but you know. Because also, I imagine that if they were given free license to do what they want, the show would probably be pushing boundaries even more into more outrageous territory. I don't know. <laughs> I don't know that it could push boundaries into more outrageous territory. Yeah. Although I thought that last time, I thought after series one that, that they couldn't push boundaries into more outrageous territory, but um, they have. So you know, I, I don't know that they. I don't think that they feel thwarted. I don't. Think, think they feel like they've been, you know, denied the ability to explore stuff. I mean, we've gone pretty hard. We've, 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 you know, attacked some pretty sensitive areas. I mean, we do a pretty solid um, sort of transgender storyline, which is, um, ha- you know, is doesn't attack transgender obviously, but does uh, comment on the way culture is treating the whole transgender thing and and the sort of rules of discourse that we seem to be building around the whole transgender issue and uh yeah that was scary scared the network scared us um uh we uh do a pretty solid riff on pedophilia um no no not pedophilia we do a pretty solid riff on pedophiles um no no children involved in this storyline, no, 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 no child harmed in in, in, in the making of this particular storyline, but uh, we uh, go somewhat hard on, you know, the people's attitude to to, to, to pedophiles and sort of pedophiles as the as the the new satans, and uh, so that's interesting and delicate and challenging. And is it up to you to make the show and put as much of the outrageous stuff in there as you can and then give it to the network and then they no. will potentially no. push back? No, they, they, they are involved at every step of the way. Okay. So they see things in idea form, they see it in outline, they see first draft, second draft, polished scripts, they see every day's rushes, they are fully a collaborative and intimately involved part of the creative process. And initially... What are some challenges that... So looking at your two big projects for the past chapter of work, Secret City and Soulmates. Yep. Uh, whenever you faced a big challenge with either of them, what would, what's something that you might have been banging your head against the wall along the way because it didn't go as smoothly as you would have liked? Um, Secret City was a... The challenge of Secret City was that we began with novels that were clearly satirical in intent. There was lots about the Marmalade Files and the Mandarin Code that was really funny, really funny, uh, quite incisive satire on Australian politics. 
um, you know, the main character was a foreign minister who was had locked in syndrome and launched a um, challenge against her prime minister while only able to communicate through Twitter by blinking her left eyelid. So she was sending out tweets by blinking her left eyelid and, and she was able to successfully launch a challenge against the Prime Minister. It was satirical. Um, and what has ultimately emerged is a very dark, tight political thriller which is not, which is not satire in any way, shape or form. And so uh, moving the story from a political satire which had really strong you know, spy and uh, clandestine espionage elements to a clandestine espionage spy thriller was a really tortured multi-step process. And along that way, there were a, a couple of occasions when we just had to, you know, go into a cave and say, right, we need to reconceive this, you know, from, from scratch. Well, not from scratch, but we need to reconceive our, our entire approach to this story. And the authors of the original novels were unbelievably helpful and supportive and open. And, you know, each time we moved away from, you know, some element of their original idea, they, you know, held their hands and continued to give, you know, advice and insight and, and, and to give input, their creative input, into the formation of the new stories. So it remains very much, you know, an interpretation of their work. It remains very much inspired by them and their creative input and their storytelling, but it had to move a long way from where it began to where it's ended up. And did you experience any big challenge with soulmates along the way? Um, uh, the guys have immense creative ambition. They really, really want to see every dollar up on screen, and then some. And so the immense challenge with Soulmates is fulfilling a creative ambition that is, you know, huge and, 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 and you know, pushes the, you know, right at the edges of what's affordable um, within the bounds of an Australian budget, an Australian ABC television comedy budget. Um, and there were, you know... Beautiful things, like really, really fantastic, fantastic action, excitement, climactic, wonderful scenes that, you know, they just, we just couldn't afford to make them. We just couldn't afford the time, the schedule, the locations, the safety equipment, the actors, the stunt coordinators to make those scenes happen. And that was incredibly depressing and debilitating and, you know, was happening at a time of maximum stress when we're you know, really trying to get a show together and get the stories right and led to you know, significant amounts of rewriting at the last minute to you know, fill the spot that had been full of you know, stunts and exterior night shoots with, with new material that was still exciting and, and delivered on the drama but which wasn't going to be so expensive to shoot. And just back onto Secret City, did you have... At what stage in the process of adapting the novel did was the decision made to keep it away from satire and make it a thriller? Um, the network, uh, uh, every time we would come back to them with a new set of scripts, would say, no, it's too close to satire. It's, you know, we, we want a political thriller. We want a political thriller. They were, they were actually pretty clear um, 
with, that they wanted a political thriller. Um, because the landscape was going to respond well to one, they, they felt? More I believe so, than... yeah. I, I assume so. They, they know their audience far more than I do. Um, but yes, but yeah, in, yes. But it's a it's a process. It's very hard to just leap straight from you know one thing to another. It, it actually, I think, all the steps that we took on the on the path to creating a, a political thriller from this material were necessary steps. And in terms of the next chapter of your focus, do you know what that's going to entail once all the soulmates post stuff wraps up? No, no, I. Um, want to create a show of my own you know since since graduating i have worked almost exclusively on other people's shows and in, and in television entirely on other people's shows and so i would like to create a show of my own i have a clear idea of what i want it to be and so i will yeah but you need clear air you need clear time you need uninterrupted time to do you know creative work to, but to start with a blank page and create something from nothing requires clear air you can't well, I can't I mean some people obviously do but I can't do that in the half hour gaps between other jobs I need to get myself into the zone stay in the zone and create work in an uninterrupted way to create something new and will you give yourself an amount of weeks or months after this for that? I thought I, I thought I was going to be doing that through post, but post-production turns out to be much more demanding than I had anticipated it was going to be. And that's, that's not because you know, this is a particularly tough job, just because I'd fooled myself about how simple it would be. And so it's actually proving much more time-consuming. So I may... I thought I'd just take that time during post on Soulmates, but I may have to actually set aside time once, once we've delivered to, uh, to um, complete, to, yeah, to, to, to actually create, do my own creative work. And if you were to have a total smooth run in terms of how long you would ideally expect to spend on developing a series to then having it commissioned, having it put through pre-production and post, to give people who don't work in TV an idea, how long does that process take? Um... The, oh, no, no, I wasn't going to, I was going to say the longer the better, um, but it's a, it's a balance. If you try and get a project up too quickly, then it may suffer. You know, it really, you know, there's a, they, they benefit from time. If, however, you've got too much time, then you lose key creatives and nobody can, you know, Development is not very well paid, so you you know you lose people to other jobs. You, you know you lose your own will to live because it's just taking so fucking long. Um, but you know if it's too rushed, you know it doesn't get the care and and consideration. But you know if you, I would say you need a couple of years from idea to you know being ready to go to, to air on a season one. You know. After that, you should be able to. If you know, if you know, if you know straight away that you're going to a second season, you should be able to, um, you know, get a get a new season up, you know, quicker than that. Um, and then that also depends if it's six by half hour comedy, you know, less time. If it's a you know political thriller where every you know it's six by one hour and every element has to be 
right and every you know, piece in the puzzle has to not only work in a satisfying way but be surprising and you know not what's expected but you know but still what's plausible you know that's hard is the idea that you have in your mind at the moment something that's been there since film school no but you just it's like recent. the idea of doing it it's recent and is that thinking given the time frame that things usually take to happen do you project forward and think okay, well, people are loving this type of thing now. In 24 months' time, there should be an interest around this topic or this style of viewing? Um, what, you do, what I do is not... is you know, Knowing that it's going to take two years, I would never look at what's working now and say, right, we need more of that. That would be madness. That would be suicide because you know, you're going to be pitching into a market that's you know, moved on two years. So... You shouldn't, yeah. You shouldn't look at what's going on now and say, right, that's working. Oh, I need to do something like that. Yeah. After Underbelly came out, you know, suddenly everybody was pitching true crime series, and you know, it was too late. Underbelly had had, had sort of claimed that territory. You know, so uh, you know, when Rake came out, suddenly everybody had these, you know, flawed professional middle-aged men who were you know, oversexed and, and, and getting into lots of trouble. But it's too late. Rake's done that. You know, that, that, the, the Australian market for rake has now been filled by rake. So, you know, it's pointless pitching another rake. Um, so, yes, I'm not looking... I, didn't, I look at the market to, in Australia right now to see... to make sure that I'm not pitching something... I'm not developing something that already exists. And are things cyclical, the way fashion yep, is? totally. Okay, so you can, and so I would normally say in terms of a trend that I could see visually, it's a 20-year cycle before that will come back in the same version again. In TV, is it similar? Um, there are really, like, there are cop shows and lawyer shows and hospital shows or you know, medical shows. Um, there are sort of family dramas, um, you know, that... Yeah, detective shows, I guess, are slightly different to cop shows. But, you know, there are a limited number of re- really you know, pro- professional spaces that, ha- that have a clear um, mechanic. mechanic. You know, you know what, you, you, you're going to have a client come in and they've got this problem and be solved by the end of the episode. That's, you know, you're going to start the episode with a body, you're going to end the episode with an arrest. You know, you, there, 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 there's those. They, they, they keep on returning and, you know, the, there's an endless appetite for a good cop show or a good hospital drama or a good medical show, or, you know. Mm. Um, and, but, uh, yeah. But there's, I mean... The exciting thing about HBO is that they do new stuff. Before Game of Thrones, nobody would have thought that an epic fantasy swords and beards and dwarves was ever going to work, and it's been amazingly successful. Before Walking Dead, nobody was wandering around saying, what we need is a zombie show. Um, so, yeah. So there are th- th- those, those medical cop you know, murder shows are, 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 tend to be network-driven. Network puts out the, the word, you know, we need a cop show. Mm. Um, whereas something like Game of Thrones, HBO was not putting out the word that they needed a epic fantasy show. Yeah, that was driven, you know, by the creative impulse. We, you know, we think that this, this you know, series of novels is a fantastic basis for something that's going to be entirely new in television. 
And for people who are listening who just want to get hot tips on some really well-written stuff, whether it be Australian or international, what's some things that you've seen in the last couple of years of great TV that you would always think about when it comes to great TV? Um, for great TV from, I think, a writing perspective, um, you know, would be Friday Night Lights. I think Friday Night Lights is brilliant training for a writer, to, uh, as an aspiring television writer, someone who's aspiring to write hour a week television drama or, you know, high-end, you know, one-hour series TV. I think that uh, Friday Night Lights is uh, an essay, you know, is, is, is a film school course in good television writing. And again, something that people wouldn't think, you know what, a Texan football That's show right. would work yeah. across I, I, a number I, yeah, of I would ne- never have imagined that I would watch a show that was set in a Texas town and about a high school football team. And certainly wouldn't have imagined I would enjoy it, but that's the that's the the, the beauty of Friday Night Lights is is you know the the excellence of the writing uh, transcends the subject matter. And anything else that you've really reviewed? Um, I really liked War and Peace, the recent um, BBC um, adaptation that Andrew Davies did. I really like everything that he's ever done. I think he's wonderful, wonderful, wonderful adapter and creator and writer and creative force. Um, I'm enjoying Vinyl. Um, I think that's you know, really well written. Um, I like Vikings. I, you know, I find that really engaging. Um, uh, I look forward to Game of Thrones. I'm, I'm excited about Game of Thrones coming on. Um, yeah. Hmm. And for someone who would always have thought that they would love to begin a journey into being a writer, writing narrative for TV, for, for film, what's a great place to start for someone who hasn't made any inroads into that? Any books you could recommend, things that they could be doing, processes they could undertake to start the, pro- the journey? Um... Uh, any books that you read? Oh, there's. I think there's. Yeah, there's a couple of Australian books that that actually come to grips with the Australian process. Yeah, you know, with the, with the way with the with the way Australians write television. Um, I've got them on my shelf at home. I'll I'll I'll, I'll tell get, me and I'll post them. Tell, 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 tell you and you can and you can post them. I just can't remember off the top of my head, and I don't want to misname somebody mm. who's you know probably a colleague, definitely a colleague. Um, but I've, uh, yeah, I've got I've got a, 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 a stack of good Australian television writing books, which are really worth starting. I recommend to everybody to to create your own show. Yeah, it won't get made. You know, I mean, seriously, the chances of a first time writer who's never done any television work actually writing a show that gets picked up is really minimal. But you've got to believe that it's going to get made. You write it believing that it's going to get made. But absolutely do not write the show that you think is going to suit the market. Do not write the show. Write the show that showcases what you know, your specific skills, your passionate understanding of some topic or some area that you passionately believe in. Write the show that shows off your writing and your passion, not the show that you think Channel 7 is going to want to schedule next year. I mean, be audience aware. Don't, you know... Don't write something that's totally fucking alienating, but you know, write the show that showcases your your passion, your craft, your creativity, the, the the stuff that you love, the stuff that you know, 
and then that will make, that's a great calling card. And from that, you might get a gig as the trainee script editor or the researcher or whatever on somebody else's show. And then you do a couple of those and you might, you know, get offered a script editing role or a writing role and then you go from there and you, if you are wise, wiser than me, you build your career that way in, in script departments, in writing rooms and you build up a network and you build up a skill set and you see lots of hours that you might not necessarily have totally written on your own, but you've contributed to the process by which they've come to screen and you see them perform, you see them cut together and you, you, know, you can look at how that hour of television moved from idea to you know, broadcast and that's really, really useful. So that process for someone who wanted to begin it could look like work experience in a TV writing space, yeah. um, you know, just to observe how the yeah. mechanics of that space works yeah. and potentially have a process along on running in tandem with that, which is what building your understanding of how structure works and actually yeah. learning to write. Yeah, but, but write an outline. Write an outline, then write a mini Bible, write an episode, um, just, to, uh, just to prove that you can. I mean, just to prove to yourself that you can, just to discover to, to, for, for yourself that you can actually do this and that you actually enjoy doing this. And this is not you know, you know, totally like sweating blood because if you do, if you, you know, go out and you start as a researcher and then you, you know, do a bit of script editing and then you, you know, do a bit more and then you finally get offered your, offered your episode and you sit down and it turns out, you know, yeah. <laughs> A, you hate it and B, you know, you're not that great at it. I mean, you know, you can do it, but, you know, it's so hard and such a grind and requires so much rewriting that it becomes a joyless thing, you know. You may as well know that before you start down this path because, you know, all the groundwork building and networking in the world isn't going to help you if deep down you're not a television writer. You know, deep down you're not a writer of, of, of you know, filmed drama. Mm. Then, you know, there are, there are, you know, there are lots of other ways to, to be creative. There are lots of other ways to be creative and to write and to... You know, there are other forms of drama and there are other, you know, ways of maybe making a creative contribution that aren't necessarily, you know, writing. And so I do recommend that people sit down and, you know, create, it, create their own thing and write an episode of it just to find out whether it's, they've got it in them. <laughs> and just to finish off, what, what do you think the, the best thing about being a TV writer is? Oh, I actually like the collaboration. I, 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 t sitting alone by myself writing an episode is the price that I pay to be involved in a collaborative process with directors and actors and designers and composers and DOPs and the whole, you know, the whole, and networks and network execs. I, you know, I, I like working with them. It's, you know, so the writing is the price I pay to be part of this collaborative people-focused process and so when people say to me oh you know how do you cope with tv and you, you know you're you know other people are interfering with your ideas and all that sort of stuff um i that's what i love that's what i look forward to that's the best bit um there are times when i sort of want to slap directors but very very rarely you know there are you know just just the occasional i miss the point and you know, 
you know, you feel like, oh, right, you know, you really fucking haven't got that. But um, and there are times when I want to slap actors, but not often. Usually it's a really you know, collaborative process. Even when you want to slap somebody, it's still a collaborative process. Family. It's family. <laughs>